Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Sharing a meal or a cup of coffee are often the best occasions to have a good conversation. Families that eat dinner together are usually closer because it's when they can talk about what happened that day or discuss the important issues in their lives. Think about diners or coffee shops that are gathering spots. The Lancaster County Community Foundation is taking this concept a step further with a project called At the Table. It's designed to bring the community together to talk. Joining us today to talk about it is Tracy Cutler, Vice President of Communications and Donor Cultivation, and Fran Rodriguez, Program Officer, both with the Lancaster County Community Foundation. Ladies, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having us. Good morning. Well, you know, I have to admit that uh, as I was writing that introduction, I'm thinking of all the times when people get together over food or drink to talk. Why is it so, how can we get people to talk? Why do they talk? Is it relaxation? Is it having fun? I don't know. Why do they talk over food and and drink? Exactly. I mean, food's one of the great equalizers, isn't it? I guess it is. (laughs) I guess it really is. But, uh, you know, this idea came from um, Chicago, I understand. Talk about it, Tracy. Yeah, it did. So at the table is a concept we we heard about uh, maybe a year, year and a half ago. And what we loved about it was this idea of people coming around a table together to share a meal, to have some food, and um, yeah, to talk about things that are important to them. And so the background of Chicago, they hosted something that they actually call on the table, and they're very generous with their with their ideas, and we're quite happy for other communities to try it. And not many have yet but um they um yeah they were open to hey give it a try in chicago they've been very successful i actually had the chance to be in chicago a few days ago for their third on the table event and you know chicago was able to to get about 50,000 individuals around tables talking about the chicago region okay now we're chicago obviously is a much bigger city than uh lancaster but this is a lancaster county event exactly but Talk about uh, how many people, how many different groups you have that are meeting. And, and by the way, this is next week, uh, Friday and, and Saturday, the 20th and 21st of next week. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, really the idea behind At the Table is to flip the flip a traditional concept of community conversation on its head. So a lot of times, you know, certainly the Community Foundation has done this and lots of other organizations have brought people together, you know, in a focus group kind of format. And they'll say, come to our office at 7 p.m. on Tuesday and let's get your thoughts. We've like, done that. Right, yep. and we all do, and that, that can be a really great format. But we really like the idea of flipping that and saying, you know, we know that people are gathered around their kitchen table, they're sitting on their front porch, they're having a beer together at happy hour, and talking about things, talking about things they care about. So that's really the idea of at the table and the idea that people are going to have conversations. So, and so we've said, look, can you just have one of those conversations with your friends, with your family, with your coworkers or your neighbors? Have one of your conversations on May 20th or 21st, and then tell us what you talked about. Because we really would love to hear, and we know that some of the best ideas are going to come from places that we are not. Mm-hmm. Well, Fran, we were talking before the show, and I, I want our audience to hear this part because you know you set some goals numbers-wise uh, when you started this, and you know we got the ball rolling on it. But you've exceeded those numbers. I'm going to call you super achievers because you guys Thank at the Lancaster County Community Foundation <laughs> always exceed your numbers. But what kind of numbers are we looking at? What were you looking for, and what are we looking at right now? Well, right now we are close to 100 
posts that, that have expressed an interest. And I think what we know about Lancaster County is that people get excited about different events and initiatives, and we tend to wait until the last minute often to sign up for things. So, so super achievers, but procrastinators. Uh, somewhat. Okay. All and right. and we're, we're happy about that. I mean, we know that by next week, the numbers will likely grow, and we'll certainly um, welcome anyone who wants to register. But right now, Lancaster County is getting ready for a great 48 hours next week. Okay. So you said 100. Yes. Now, the numbers in each one of these groups, how many? It could be between 10 and 12 people. And certainly, like Tracy described, uh, this is a very organic way of folks getting together to have a conversation about their hopes and dreams and ideas on how Lancaster could uh, do things in a different or better way. Now, one thing I want to mention to our audience, obviously, uh, we cover a wide area other than just Lancaster County. We have 18 counties in our listening area. One of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation is because I think it's a great idea for those 17 other counties or, or anyone to do this, to get together if you're looking for some community engagement, bring some food, bring some drink into it, and just let them go from that. But uh, we will be talking about uh, this organized effort in Lancaster County, but be thinking about your own home county, your own home, and uh, be thinking about the, what it does bring to the to the table, so to speak, uh, when, when we're talking about it. So, Fran, from what you just described, we could be looking at a thousand people participating, offering their opinions, talking about the issues, the future of Lancaster County. Uh, I mean, when you talk about a survey, uh, asking people their opinions, that's much higher than a normal survey group. Yes. I mean, so that exceeded your expectations? It is quite amazing to consider that, Scott, the fact that that many people will likely gather around coffee tables, coffee shops, even, you know, a picnic if the sun will likely come out next week. Yeah, right? there you go. Um, we all know about that. But yeah. the fact that we are creating a platform here in Lancaster that has actually been successful, you know, in the Midwest, an opportunity for folks who typically have not been a part of our conversation as well, because we hit certain segments, you know, portions of our county but at the table is now inviting folks that, that don't know about the Lancaster County Community Foundation to enjoy a conversation around their own tables and to offer a perspective. Now, yeah. what kind? What groups are you talking about? Well, the underrepresented, you mm -hmm. know, certainly the, the cultural uh, and, and ethnic uh, demographics in our county that may not have heard about the Lancaster County Community Foundation are now joining us in terms of wanting to engage in, in this 48-hour uh, event. Mm -hmm. One of those groups, in your background, before you came to uh, work for the Lancaster County uh, Community Foundation, you would work with a number of groups uh, working with Latinos, the Latino community. Uh, the Latino community, are they going to be, uh, are, are many Latinos going to be involved in this next week? Absolutely. Um, we thought very intentionally when we began planning at the table, we brought on a local Latina who has a solid connection in a grassroots uh, way with certain uh, communities, especially in the Southeast, and she has opened the Southeast door. Southeast Lancaster City. Yes, mm -hmm. she has opened the door to engaging um, individuals to learn about at the table. And we have also uh, translated the information 
of uh, this this initiative into Spanish, which is the first uh, that that we've done here at the Lancaster County Community Foundation. I'm extremely proud that now this information can be read uh, within the Latino households, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, Tracy, geography is also important in this too, because I, I, for those who aren't familiar, you know we've. WITF has worked uh, with uh, the Lancaster County Community Foundation on the Extraordinary Give in November, the last uh, four years. And even though the whole county is represented, it you there are many more organizations located in the city. But geography was very important to you for this, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, this this program itself is about, yeah, engaging voices across the community. You know, we believe that we don't have all of the best ideas. And, you know, while we, we at the Community Foundation with some volunteers could, could sit in a room and, and think about what might be helpful, most helpful uh, next in our community, we know we don't have the answers. So, and we know that not any one group has the answers. And that really it's about this power of collective voice and community voice that's going to help us move forward. So that's been part of um, our objective. You know, we did have some communities that we don't have deep relationships with, as Fran described. We, you know, we've worked pretty deliberately to make some connections with the Latino community by way of saying, we want to hear what you have to think. And we're doing the same thing in, um, you know, in Lancaster County. So we're, we're happy now that we already have hosts who are who are going to be part of this, who are living in Marietta and in Reinhold and Leola and Ephrata. So not only will we have some, you know, many voices and deep representation within the city, but we'll also have um, voices across the county. And I think that's actually going to be one of the most interesting parts is to see, you know, what are the common themes? I think, um, I don't know. We don't know what we're going to really get in terms of the feedback, but I believe that we'll have more common themes than not common themes. And that's part of of what we're looking for at the Community Foundation is what do what is everybody caring about? What are the things that are rising to the top that we can help get behind and put some focus and resources to that can help us move move forward together? I mean, we might suspect some ideas, but I think we don't know. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're discussing At the Table, a project by the Lancaster County Community Foundation to spark conversation in the community. It is next weekend, May 20th and 21st. Our guest today, Tracy Cutler, Vice President of Communications and Donor Cultivation, and Fran Rodriguez, Program Officer, both with the Lancaster County Community Foundation. All right, now, I want to talk about the ultimate goal. We've talked about some of the nuts and bolts of how this works, but Tracy, what is the ultimate goal of this project? So really the goal of At the Table, um, as we've been talking about, is to bring together community voice and help the Community Foundation help us understand what's important to people who live in our community. Um, you know, we have, from a strategic perspective, we're at a point where we're going to be looking at our strategy and thinking again really carefully about how we make grant investments in, in Lancaster County. And um, that's something that we've done over time, and we've done a more traditional approach where we've brought in several people to say, what do you think is important? So we have engaged our community, but we wanted to do that in a different, broader, and more organic way. So that's really what At the Table is about, to reach out to people. And we are looking for some hopeful ideas. This is definitely a hopeful conversation. You know, what are, what are things you'd like to see in Lancaster County that maybe you've seen in another community? What are ways you think you can move our community forward? You actually have a little uh, card called the guiding questions and as Freya mentioned it's both in uh, Spanish and, and English um, 
where you ask, and there's only like five questions, but the, what inspires or motivates you to make a better community or Lancaster County better? Uh, what would you like to see more of in our community? What ideas have you seen in other places that you'd like to see here? What are the needs of your community? How can individually or collectively address these needs? What are your ideas for inspiring more people to be engaged in making our community more connected? And let me also add at this point, those questions could be asked in any community out there, not just Lancaster County, but uh, anywhere across the, the our listing area across the state. So think about those questions and think about the, how you would answer those questions yourself. But those are kind of the guiding questions. Is that how you lead into these things? And um, someone has to start start the conversation by asking those questions. Right. I mean, that's really the concept. The concept is, again, you know, we're all having conversations about things we care about all the time. And this is just kind of a framework. And one of our goals was to not you know, kind of pigeonhole the questions, not put them in any particular box. So you'll notice we're not asking about things like education right. or healthcare. Those are very open-ended questions. They're very open-ended because I think people have a lot of different concerns. For example, we've been having some, you know, sample conversations to kind of demonstrate to people what might it be like to host. And really what it's like to host is to have your friends over have some food, have a drink, and have a conversation. But for people who wanted to feel more comfortable, we've been having conversations. And honestly, one of the things that's come up at several tables that I've been sitting at has been like parades. People are like, we need more parades. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> and, and I think that goes to the idea that people are, that people really appreciate community spirit and they can appreciate gathering and neighborhoods and coming together. That's for, what that says. For me. those who can't see us on radio, I raised an eyebrow uh, because that's not one I would, I would <laughs> have guessed. But, uh, yeah, now Lancaster County does have, and the city especially, does have a lot of community events. So that says to me that apparently the community really enjoys those things of get, being able to get together and celebrate, but they'd like more. Exactly. Or, yeah, or things that used to happen don't happen. So I think, you know, this framework of conversation just leads to a lot of things that really get to the root of what are meaningful to people. And so then it's our job to, you know, to be able to kind of interpret some of that information and use it in a way that we can be supportive of concepts that are, are really meaningful to people across the community. All right, Fran. So once the conversations have occurred, then what? What happens with the information? Well, once they, they have occurred, we're, we're hoping that our hosts, the people who are actually registered to invite folks to a conversation, and every, every one of the hosts receives this great packet of information in the mail, or you can download it on the, uh, from the At The Table website. So they will hopefully share the survey with everyone that's been a part of the conversation. And that is where folks will be very honest and open with sharing their perspective about these hopes and ideas. The survey is going to be an incredibly important piece to this initiative because it, it will you know, give us the information that, that the Community Foundation needs and FNM will be the administrator of Yeah, but let's talk this. about that. Uh, Franklin Marshall College's uh, Center for Opinion Research, my friend Burwood Yost, you've been working with Burwood on, on this. They've supplied a survey asking questions about what was discussed and uh, the major topics of discussion? Absolutely. And they will be the holders of this information. So the Community Foundation will not see the results. Uh, FNM is an incredibly talented group in terms of, you know, uh, overseeing the survey component of um, these things that occur. And so they, they will 
be providing us with the results of what's happened during the 48-hour initiative. And and I'll just add that, you know, I think that's one of the biggest parts is I'm curious, and I think people will be curious to know, you know, well, what did people say? And so that's the next step. So, um, you know, the confidential results will come in, but then FNM will help us aggregate information, and then we'll be sharing it back. We'll be sharing it back, you know, via the website at thetablelink.com and, you know, with other some local media sources so that everyone can tune in and see what were the major themes? You know, what were the top things people were talking about? What were some specific ideas? And the Community Foundation will use that information to drive some of our work, but it's also a way for other, you know, entities across across the community and across the region, really, to tune in and say, oh, that's a really important topic, and we're already working in that area. So it's it can reinforce work that people are doing. It can, you know, add ideas to specific areas of, you know, of opportunity that um, all sorts of organizations are working with. So this will be used by the Community Foundation, but it's also a resource for the community to kind of tap into community voice in a way that we haven't really been able to do. It really is. And, you know, from talking with Burwood Yost and Terry Madonna at FNM uh, about polls, a thousand people in one community, in one county, that's a lot of people. That's a large survey sample because usually I, you know, I don't want to put in the numbers, but I know that uh, when they do a lot of their surveys, they use 460 people, something like that. So having a thousand people from all geographic areas of the county and even some communities that have been underrepresented, I mean, from a pollster standpoint, I imagine that is just great information to have. And the results then, as you said, it's not only valuable to you, but it can be valuable to people outside the region or, I mean, I should say other areas of the region to see what the, the concerns or what areas they want to uh, find most important. All right, let's talk about some of those things. I mean, you, you, you both said that uh, you didn't come into this with preconceived ideas. You don't want to uh, push your ideas of what you think are most important on the people participating. But, and I, there's a but here, uh, you just mentioned parades. What do you think, just your own experiences, talking to the community, be involved in the community, what do you think will be some of the top topics of conversation? Fran, let me start with you. And we can talk specifically about the Latino community, but other um, aspects of, the, of Lancaster County, too. Certainly. I, I feel that within the Latino community, folks will feel in terms of having access to us, the Community Foundation, being invited to the table to talk about hopes and dreams. Um, I feel that, for instance, this idea of the parades, when Tracy mentioned this to me uh, a month or so ago, it instantly sparked a memory of the Puerto Rican Day Parade that occurred for many, many years, and suddenly it stopped. And there has been a void within the Latino community in terms of the the, the whole celebratory notion of of culture and spirit, downtown Lancaster. And I think that theme is going to come up frequently in terms of Latinos expressing uh, their hopes and ideas for our community. Education will likely come up. You think? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I I feel that once you give people a, 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 a stage, a platform, and you're inviting them to talk, they will likely bring in all of the good and the bad. And I'm 
really, really interested to see what comes out of it. I think it's interesting. I think, you know, it definitely could be like a political campaign and things like education, of course, will come up. Work, uh, you know, and job opportunities will come up. Um, Healthcare will probably come up. But I'm most interested to see kind of what, in my mind, comes in between the lines. What comes in between those large topics? What are the actual points? I mean, one of the conversations we talked about is, well... On our survey, should there be information about, yes, we talked about transportation. But then we said, but what does that mean? Transportation could mean we're interested in bike lanes. There's too much traffic. Or, you know, how are we going to, yeah, continue to to continue the rail service? So it's those between the lines and those nuances that I think this at-the-table conversation allows for people to get into. So it's not structured in a way that, that, you know, constrains things to only a high-level topic. It allows us to get more granular. Well, see, that was my next question, is how do you do that? Because, um, you know, and I know this from from being doing this for many years and being a reporter and being out on the street and talking to people, you ask them, well, what are your top five concerns? And they'll list education, health care, uh, Congress, you know, all those things. But when you dig a little bit deeper, that's when, okay, you learn something, but at the same time, many people haven't thought a whole lot about it other than, yeah, I know that the roads need to be uh, better, or we do need more mass transportation, or I'm tired of the buses not being on time, all those things. But you have to dig deeper. Right. How do you do that in this well, conversation? Well, and honestly, I think that's what this kind of conversation allows. And I just witnessed one when I was in Chicago last week. And I'll just give you a quick example. The conversation was actually on the topic of affordable housing. And so they a had- A huge topic, A by huge the way. topic. Right. And it's across the nation, of course. And, and but so- there we sat and the conversation started there were maybe 30 people in the room and it started with all the things that were wrong and all of the resources that their community used to have and grants and funding that had gone away and then something happened and somebody in the room said you know our region has actually been really progressive in housing in our nation we need to think about that again. We need to start thinking about what we've done in the past that was really helpful and start looking at new solutions. And that comment in that room changed their conversation. And the next thing I knew, I was listening to people coming up with solutions and saying, well, you know, we could consider reaching out to this entity. We could consider looking into this realm of funding. We could consider a different kind of partnership. So I think this longer format conversation, without the constraints of somebody in charge listening without cameras on you, without anybody recording the data. It allows for a more free-form conversation, and people can kind of get to their own solutions in a different way, or at least in that direction. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, part of why we framed it as a hopeful conversation, because it's easy to kind of, you know, list our our grievances or our concerns. And that's what most people will do. Right. And and that's okay, because, you know, we have to kind of get that out. But then how do we start to turn that conversation to become something that's going to be productive and solution-oriented, and what are the opportunities? And I think that's um, what this can allow. And that's what people will be reporting back when they're able to you know, tune into the surveys and into the feedback. People will be able to answer them immediately after their conversation online. It'll take three or four minutes, or people can do it um, via paper. But there's some open-ended questions, and that'll, that will help us kind of get to some of the root, root um, conversations people had. So, and, and, you know, when Fran 
was talking about, uh, you know, some of the th things that uh, she expected to hear. My first question was, and you kind of answered a little bit, but you do have to make that transition to being constructive and finding, uh, you know, finding the, the solutions. You ever thought about it, like inviting presidential candidates to sit down and... Uh, <laughs> That's definitely that's, not that's, on the table. That, I think that would be a little... Why not? <laughs> I mean, if you could force them over happy hour to exactly. have a constructive conversation, I joke, okay? It would defeat our purpose, Scott. <laughs> I jest. Maybe next year. You, well, of course, the election will be over by that point. But uh, anyway, so... You know, I, I I I have to admit that the the, the parade thing kind of uh, threw me a little bit because that was not something I expected. But Tracy, what are some of the in in some of these in, talk about Chicago, if you will? You talked about affordable housing. What were some of the issues that maybe surprised you that they brought up? Um, you know, I had the opportunity to attend three specific conversations in Chicago, and one happened to be with a senior center, um, affordable housing, and then I had one with a group of uh, teenagers who were kind of living on the South Side, inner city Chicago. Um, um, so really different topics. I mean, I think that's that's really the power of, of their community and the power of any community is being able to tap into the different kinds of needs and conversations that are happening in different areas. Um, you know, one of the things that definitely has continued to come up in that region that I wouldn't be surprised that would come up here is neighborhoods. You know, people want to connect within their neighborhood and they want to connect neighborhoods to each other. And I think that's really the essence of this kind of project in general is people want to connect. People want to share their voice. They want to connect so that we can hear, you know, what each other is thinking about and how we can come together to support each other. I mentioned that uh, you're represented geographically. What about age-wise? Well, at our steering group at the outset, you know, our youngest steering group member was about 17 and our oldest was 80. So, um, you know, we, we've been working to kind of reach into different arenas. And again, it's been a lot about finding some, we call them trust partners in different communities. Um, we do have several um, retirement communities that will be hosting conversations. Cool. And we definitely have some teenagers. Our, our friend Karina, I know, is going to be hosting a, an at-the-table conversation at her prom. Yeah, this one, this blew my mind. At the prom. What do you think is going to come up at that conversation? I, you know, <laughs> a bunch of things, I'm certain. I, and I'm, I'm a few years beyond that, so I don't know what their, their priorities will be, but <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, I think it's great. There's lots of different conversations. I know there will be, you know, people who have breakfast groups are having conversations around their breakfast table. Some people are having dinners. I know of a group that's having a picnic. I know of San Juan Batista Church who's having multiple people come together for a larger group conversation. So it can look any different way, and it's really the way that the host or the gatherer wants to have a conversation. There's actually an auto um, an auto repair shop where the guys are going to get together and just you know talk during one of their breaks because that's the best time that they have huh. together collectively. Well, this is next uh, next Friday at the table, next Friday and Saturday, May 20th and 21st. And I understand that registration is still open. Fran, how does someone register if they want to participate? At thetable.com. All of the information is in an English and an Espanol. Okay. Heather, can we get that on our website? 
you already see Heather Woolridge is here she takes care of me so I knew as soon as I mentioned that website she would have it on there so it's on our website WITF.org Tracy Cutler is the Vice President of Communications and Donor Cultivation Fran Rodriguez Program Officer both with Lancaster County Community Foundation a great idea and it sounds like it's going to go very very well but again I will point out that this is something that a lot of communities across the region can do thank you very much and good luck next week thanks you have to let me know what happens we will indeed. Okay. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Pennsylvania colleges and universities are holding their graduation ceremonies this month. Several are scheduled for this weekend. Most will include well-known and thoughtful commencement speakers to inspire the graduating seniors. Elizabethtown College's graduation is tomorrow, and the speaker will be the former Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Regina Benjamin. Dr. Benjamin joins us on today's program to discuss the nation's health and how we could be a healthier nation. Former U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Regina Benjamin, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you and good morning. And we're hoping that the weather will cooperate uh, tomorrow morning. I drove by uh, where they hold the graduation ceremony to, uh, tomorrow at Elizabethtown, and all the chairs, all the blue and white chairs are all ready to go. It's a beautiful uh, uh, sp- space to have it, and we're hoping that the weather cooperates because we've had about three weeks. I don't. Are you in Washington by any chance? No, I'm in Alabama. You're in Alabama. I don't know what the weather's been like down there, but it's been gray and wet here for the past three weeks, so we're tired of it. So hopefully the sun shines tomorrow morning. So, yeah, we, we're going to um, bank on it and make sure we get some good sunshine. And if, if it's rain, it'll be liquid sunshine. <laughs> well, that is the optimistic point of view, Dr. Benjamin. All right, so let's talk about the message that uh, you'll be bringing to these graduating seniors at E-Town. Well, basically, you know, I just want to congratulate them and 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 their parents and their families and and all the hard work. I mean, that's a, they're going to be joining a a, a small minority of, of the population that has a graduate degree, and with that comes a lot of responsibility. And they're entering the the world as a as leaders, and so I hope I just want them to understand that, and they have those responsibilities to their communities, to their families to themselves, um, to not only to do good, but to be good. When you say they're entering the community as leaders, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, we look up to um, those around us who we think is successful, and, and we look up to them as, as the leaders, and they're, you know, their cousins, their little family members. Um, they're now college graduates, and so they'll come to them. They'll be turning to them for advice and things. Um, they will be going into jobs and professions and, and graduate on to graduate school to continue their their education. But they are now leaders in their in their circles in their areas of influence, and that requires some responsibility. You know, you need to be good. You do good at what you're doing. But you need to be a good person. Um, some people call it be um, a role model, but I just think you just live your life by being a good person, and people will see that, and they, they want to be like you. Most of the people who will be graduating tomorrow will be in their early 20s. I wonder, now, for the past four years, maybe five, 
maybe longer for some people, and that's fine too. Uh, but, uh, you know, they have worked hard to get to the, the point where they are, not just at Elizabethtown, but anyone who's graduating across uh, our area, across the state, across the country. Uh, but you've used the word responsibility several times. Do you think that these graduates understand that there is a responsibility now that they're no longer a student, but they're entering uh, the workforce, they're entering the world where, who knows, they may have a spouse soon, they may have children soon. Do you think they understand that responsibility? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, we're we're fortunate these young kids have already started. Um, they've been doing volunteer work. They've been going... Um, abroad to learn how to live with different cultures. They've they've taken that on already. Uh, many of them are doing their own service learning and, and the things that they're doing. They multitask um, at the same time, so they've already gotten a head start. They're socially conscious. Elizabethtown, particularly, you know, in, like most liberal arts colleges, prepare them to be overall um, good citizens, and and they have that good basic education and foundation so that they can make good decisions and make good life choices. And I think they're ready for it. And I'm optimistic. And, you know, I think we'll be in good hands with these kids. You know, I obviously want to talk to you mostly about health. But uh, since you brought this up, I'm just curious. And I think it's a good time to have the conversation when we're at this time of year. Uh, But when you say that uh, today's students are more socially conscious, what do you mean by that? And do you think that today's student is more socially conscious than, say, five or ten years ago? I wouldn't say more, but they certainly are socially conscious. You know, we we went through, you know, the flower children and all the the various different times during history. Yeah, they were socially conscious then. Yeah, Yeah. they were too. So, um, but I do think that they are, and and we don't hear a lot about it. Um, They're doing um, doing good things. They're out volunteering, and many of them are in um, organizations on the grassroots in their communities. helping others. It's, it's just a, a nice thing to see that, you know, young people still have that, that altruism that's there and that spark is there. And all the negative things that we hear about, you know, on TV and everything hasn't jaded them yet. So they still are um, really enthused and, and ready to make a difference. When do we reach that age when we do get jaded? I, that's a rhetorical I hope question. <laughs> I hope we don't ever get to that age. <laughs> All right, so let's get to your role as the, the nation's top health officer. And, I mean, you've continued your whole career has been in, in health care. Uh, we've talked about uh, young people, the graduates, being socially conscious. What about health conscious? Are they health conscious? We want to make them health conscious. I hope so. Um, and... Um, as you said, my whole career has been um, in healthcare, and as a family physician in a small rural town here in Alabama, that's um, what I do. But as a Surgeon General and as my um, national role as well, I've always been a champion of the power of prevention, and it's the foundation of everything that I've done as Surgeon General as public health. I believe that health does not occur in the doctor's office and the hospitals only. Health also occurs where we live, where we learn, where we work, where we play, where we pray. Health is in everything that we do. And I think it offers the greatest opportunity to improve the health of America's families, you know, now and for decades to come. So it's it's the the idea that we can be healthy and we can be healthy um, not just by taking a pill but by the way we live. You know, we 
exercise, we eat right, we enjoy our families, spend time with, with loved ones. All of those things make you a healthy person, and that makes a healthy community. And if we have a healthy community, we'll have a healthy nation. I don't want to just talk about, uh, you know, the young people and the graduates that you'll be speaking to tomorrow. But before we get on to talking about the, the nation as a whole, you know, think back to even when we were young. And I'm not saying you're not young, I, but I, not, I know. <laughs> I, but I, hey, I, I know I'm not. So, but you know, we we had that sense of uh, that we were indestructible that, hey, I'm 22, 23 years old, nothing can hurt me. I don't have to worry about what I do now because I'm in good shape. I don't have to worry about anything. And I don't know. And, and, and actually, when we're going to talk about the Affordable Care Act, that's actually been one of the challenges of the Affordable Care Act, young people getting involved because they have that sense of, well, I'm okay now. I don't need insurance. So it kind of goes along the same lines. How do you get young people thinking about the future and thinking about their health? We, you know, it's a process, and it's a movement that we have to continue to push. And young people are now being a part of that movement. They're, they see it. They see the consequences of poor choices. Um, they see the consequences of, even if you start with just clean air or um pollution and things. They've seen those things happen, so they know they're real, and many of them are are taking up those causes themselves. The, the issue comes in how do we get the entire movement to be going, because you're right, um, it's, it's a time when you're, you're not thinking about 20, 30 years down the road when your knees are going out. You're thinking about right now, are you having fun? We need to make sure they understand that they can enjoy life enjoy um, their their time as young, healthy adults, and, and continue to do things that won't harm them down the road. And so things like um, exercising and eating well and, and having fun doing those things, I think young people know that. They enjoy that. We have to make being healthy fun and not a dread. I always say we have to stop telling people what they can't do, what they can't have, what they can't eat, and start telling them what they can have, what they can enjoy. You can enjoy walking. You can enjoy um, exercising with your friends, dancing, um, just being around people and, and doing healthy things. It can be fun. Food, healthy foods don't have to taste bad. They don't have to taste like you're eating a you know, a tree that just got cut down. It can really have good taste. We have to start doing those positive things and, and not making it a negative. Did you say taste like a tree that just got cut down? Yeah, and I don't want to cut down the trees. So no, I I, sure and I've never really thought about that, but, yeah, that doesn't sound very tasty, that's for sure. Nope. <laughs> now, you were the Surgeon General between 2009 and uh, 2013, early in uh, the Obama administration when the president and the administration was working on the Affordable Care Act. Uh, as you said, prevention was one of your priorities. What conversations did you have with the president and the people who are working on the ACA about the role of prevention in the nation's health and in the Affordable Care Act itself? Well, I was part of a, uh, I was very fortunate to be a part of um, an initiative that um, the president and the administration launched, uh, which was a broad agenda to help Americans get healthy, live longer, stay well, and thrive. And it was part of the Affordable Care Act, and it's um, 
as Surgeon General in this law, I was the um, chair of the National Prevention, Health Promotion, and Public Health Council. And it's a council that consisted of 17 cabinet-level heads of federal agencies like the Department of Transportation, the Secretary of Agriculture, Secretary of Labor, EPA, HUD, 17 cabinet-level members for the first time ever coming together to talk about prevention and health, health prevention, and to sit around a table with that discussion. And we released the first-ever national prevention strategy, which was a um, America's plan for health and wellness. And, and that national prevention strategy is continuing to be used today, and it's, our vision is to move our health care system from a focus on sickness and disease to a focus on wellness and prevention, because you know that if we want to reform health care in this country, we need to prevent people from getting sick in the first place. We've got to stop the illness and the disease before it even starts. And, you know, again, from the very early days in discussion of the Affordable Care Act, we did hear that prevention was one of the keys. But I've talked to some doctors since who said that one of the issues, one of the challenges that we've run into as a nation is that we haven't caught up enough uh, to prevent because there are so many new patients coming into the system that we're just catching up. People who haven't had insurance for years that are now going to the doctor and that it will be a while before we can really put the emphasis on prevention because we're just trying to catch up. Do you agree well, with that and have you seen that? Well, I think there are two, two things going on and part of that's true. We do have to catch up because we're, we're, we're behind in some but there are young people coming on that we can prevent them from getting sick, you know, in the first place. And we got others who are already sick and prevent those sicknesses and illnesses from getting worse. Um, it is very difficult. When I talk to my colleagues as physicians, it's like, you know, everybody wants to do prevention, but they're busy treating um, acute things, you know, trying to keep you from dying right now. Um, and I always I kind of talk about it like, you know, asking a fire fireman to talk about prevention or fire prevention when he's in the middle of a raging fire. Doctors are similar. And so we need to find the time and the, in, to give doctors to be able to talk about prevention. But because we don't, I think we have to move back in what we call upstream and start talking to the community, talking to individuals about being healthy and letting people take um, control of their health in their own hands, you know, and, and not wait till you get to the doctor. I think as clinicians and doctors and nurses, we, we want to help as much as we can, but like you said, we don't, we don't have the time to, to do that upstream. We'd love to, but we don't. But you know that um, basically um, we have all these chronic diseases right now, like hypertension, diabetes, strokes, and that's because we're dealing with those what we call non-communicable diseases, those um, chronic diseases that are affecting so many people today. And most of those chronic diseases are caused by just four modifiable health risk behaviors. Um, the lack of physical activity, poor nutrition, tobacco use, and excessive alcohol consumption. And almost 50% of um, American adults today have at least one of those conditions. And you know that we have so much heart disease around. so. If we could just concentrate on those four health risk behaviors, we really could improve the health of, of individuals and health of nations. Um, and, and it is an national, international issue. So 
we can do those before we get to the doctor's office. We can do those before we get to the hospital um, by increasing our physical activity, eating better, not using tobacco products, and not um, drinking ex- or consuming excessive alcohol. Are you seeing patients today in your practice? I'm headed to um, Elizabethtown today. No, but I don't, I don't oh, I yes. mean today, oh, I, yes. specifically. I, I, yes. I didn't want to screw up your schedule today. Oh, but yes. uh, but you, are you seeing patients? Yesterday, yes. yes. Okay. Oh, so yeah. when you have this conversation about prevention, what does it go like? Walk me through it. Most people want to be healthy. They want their children to be healthy. They want you know, their loved ones to be healthy. So they want to do what they can to, to, do, to do better um, and, as far as overall health. Um, when you when I talk about things with the, um, particularly with the national prevention strategy, we talk about things like um, everything from safe highways and worksite wellness programs to clean air and healthy foods. Um, you know, health depends on a lot of other factors, housing and transportation and education. Um, so I get to talk to patients about all those things. Um, not every visit, but different things. Um, one thing you don't think about that's contributing to health um, a lot is education. Just getting a high school education matters. Um, making sure that um, you you realize the connection between health and um, and education. The death rate for people with less than 12 years of education is two and a half times higher than those with 13 years of education. Just by getting a high school di- diploma you can live two and a half times longer. How does someone get an appointment with a former U.S. Surgeon General? Just call the office. No, just call the office. Or or either just walk in, whichever. You Um, you taking new patients? All the time. (laughs) I'm in a small rural town, so it's it's easy to do. Our guest during this portion of the program is former U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Regina Benjamin. She'll be the commencement speaker at Elizabethtown College uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, Dr. Benjamin, when you became... Surgeon General, not only was the Affordable Care Act at its height in negotiations and formulating uh, the, the legislation, but obesity. It was when we kind of first heard about obesity, and some people have described it as a crisis, but it certainly has become an emergency. Now, I don't know whether we still are in that situation right now, but talk about obesity when you became Surgeon General, and maybe you can even talk about what stood out to you and what impact this has on the nation's health. So you're right. It was um, during that time, and still still is, um, obesity is a major problem. It's a contributor to those um, chronic diseases that I talked about, diabetes and strokes and hypertension. And so we also noticed that children were much more obese than um, in previous generations. And so there's a focus on childhood obesity um, and hopefully bringing the parents along with them. But the First Lady um, led the initiative, and she's done a wonderful job of bringing awareness to the issue of childhood obesity. I'm pleased to say that that trend of increasing um, obesity in children has started to level off. And there are a few studies that showing it it may be starting to decrease, but at least it's not increasing anymore just by raising that awareness. And we do need to start with our our younger generation to make sure that they're they're healthy. Um, The 
issues around obesity are, are so multifactorial. It was hard to find food, good foods, good healthy foods. And so this initiative to, to raise awareness, everyone knows about the issue now. I uh, wouldn't say that was the way six years ago or eight years ago. And starting to, again, do the exercises and, and eating healthy as much as you can and, and making these foods available, we have to make those what we call the easy the healthy choices, the easy choices, and the affordable choices. Because for a long time it wasn't. There was a, it was more expensive to buy healthier foods. We have to make those healthier foods just as reasonable as, as unhealthy foods. But as you well know, it's a big country, and there are a lot of different opinions in this country. And after uh, First Lady Michelle Obama uh, you know, brought attention to right, the and issues... And, and I'm one of the folks who don't believe that you should be telling people what they should eat. And, and that's, what you, that's what you said earlier. And that yeah. was my, my question, is that uh, you, there was kind of a backlash in that a, a lot of children across the country, especially in a school setting weren't eating what was healthier for them. They just said, okay, I'm going to bring my lunch, or I'm just not going to eat this, and they ended up throwing some things away. How do you find that How do you find that in between? I mean, that they can eat healthier, but at the same time, they do find something that, as you say, they will eat, and you're not telling them what they can't eat. Well, again, you got to make it enjoyable, make it taste good, make it look good, um, and make it popular, make the healthier choices popular with the kids and themselves. And, and you'll see kids now doing things. They're drinking water. They're doing things that, you know, we didn't do. And so um, it's, it's, you know, it's popular to see a kid with a water bottle. I mean, they, they all have their own water bottle now. And, and just getting them to make it part of their everyday lives, part of their culture. Um, but, again, it has to be affordable. It has to be available. Um, we had to educate everyone around us um there was a point where you know the schools had to offer healthier meals and healthier options Uh, once you give parents and kids information i think they can learn to make their own choices people tend not to want to always accept that that premise but I, i just i guess i'm an optimist i just believe that we want to make good choices, but they have to be easy choices, and they and they have to be affordable. Um, it used to be, and, and kind of still is, that it's cheaper to buy um, things that are not as healthy versus you know buying some fresh fruit or fresh foods and fresh things that are that are more healthy. So we have to kind of bring those prices down as much as we can. And I think once the demand is there the price starts to come down. Uh, Dr. Benjamin, we only have about 60 seconds left. I want to thank you very much for being with us today. Uh, As the former U.S. uh, Surgeon General and seeing patients on a daily basis, what what is your biggest health concern for the nation right now? Smoking. Uh, Surgeon General has to tell you about smoking. And tobacco use among young people is, is rising, even though we're seeing decreases in older people stopping smoking. Every day, 1,200 people die from cigarette smoke. Each of those deaths is being replaced by two young smokers, and we call them replacement smokers. 90% of all smokers start before the age of 18 and 99% before the age of 26. So if we can just get our young people not to take that first cigarette before the age of 26, 
um, we have less than 1% chance they'll ever start. And it's the single most um, preventable cause of, of death in this country. So. I would say smoking. You know, it's funny because someone, someone hearing that might say, well, that's old school. We've known about it for years, but it still holds true. Dr. Uh, Regina Benjamin is the former U.S. Surgeon General of the United States. She will be uh, speaking at uh, Elizabethtown College tomorrow morning for their commencement. Uh, Dr. Benjamin, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much. Uh, coming up on Monday's program, students and social media, also laws regulating drones.